Steve and Brad from Stuck in the 80s were right. This 80s cruise thing is epic. But where are Brad and Steve? Excuse me, did you just say you were looking for Brad and Steve, the Stuck in the 80s guys? Yeah, they were supposed to meet me right here. Hey, wait, you're Jen with one N, aren't you? Are you just Drew? Can I ask you a question that's been bugging me? Yeah, go for it. Why do you suppose Stuck in the 80s fans always use nicknames instead of their real names? I don't know. I always just figure it's because Steve can't pronounce anyone's last name. Yeah, for someone who's been podcasting for 11 years, you'd think he'd know how to pronounce more than just Debbie Foreman's name. Seriously. Hey, you know, since they disappeared, do you suppose they expect us to make the announcement on the 80s cruise this episode? Yeah, it sounds like some lazy move they put on us. You start off. I'll jump in. <clears throat> hey, everyone. This episode of Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by the 80s Cruise. Join us on the 2017 voyage featuring bands like Cheap Trick, Berlin, Howard Jones, Survivor, and Belinda Carlisle. I went on the trip last year and it was the time of my life. And you can save big bucks and hang out with Spearsy and Brad if you use the promo code STUCK when you book. Uh, so what is it like hanging out with Brad and Steve anyway? Ugh, Brad and his wife Katie are the best. Oh, they are, totally. But what about Spearsy? <sighs> he just ate a lot of hot dogs. Look at those steaming weenies. Find out more by visiting the cruise's official website at www.the80scruise.com. Hey, I see him now. Oh, no, wait. I think those guys actually are baggage handlers. Oh, well. Let's start the show. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the shenanigans. It was the early 80s, and sex was still a good way to meet new people. The disappointment. Now, that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. And the self-confidence. I'm six foot, three inches tall, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today we honor four great albums that turned 30 this year. Here's just a touch on a few of our favorite albums from 1986. Okay, here's the part of the show I usually mangle, uh, the introductions of the co-hosts. So maybe I'm just going to let Brad in L.A. handle it today, right? Hey, I got Brad. this. I got this. <laughs> no problem. I'm just going to enjoy a drink while you do this. Excellent. Mm. Uh, plenty of ice in that, okay? It's hot out there. Oh, yes. So today we have a couple guest hosts. Bonus. Our first guest host, constant presence on our music shows. It's Just Drew. How's it going, everybody? Fantastic. So glad to have you back. Glad to be back. And our second guest host, joining us from the East Coast, fresh off her triumphant appearance on the Prince Tribute Show, it's Jen with one N. Thank you very much. Hello. Hello. Hi there. So um, we haven't done one of these in a while. I guess it's been about a year. Yeah, I like this format. I'm I'm glad we're getting back to it. But um, the the idea of it was that we felt like these great albums were passing by these 
milestone anniversaries, and we weren't taking uh, time out to uh, you know throw a little mini parade in their honor. We weren't so, showing them proper care. Right. In the old days, we used to do an entire show on an album. Um, but I don't know what we were thinking back then. I guess. <laughs> so what we what we've been doing for the last three years now is what we take we take a little we take these shows and we we each give you know ten or ten minutes or so to to some of our favorite albums. We're not saying these are the best albums of nineteen eighty six. We're saying that these albums, uh, the four that we're going to talk about today, are were important to us personally. And yeah, you're going to recognize them too. So if we don't do three or four a show, you know, we might run out of topics. Oh, oh irony. Oh, no, no. We don't get that here. The uh, people ski topless here while smoking dope, so irony is not really a, a high priority. We haven't had any irony here since about uh, 83, when I was the only practitioner of it. And I stopped because I was tired of being stared at. Um, what were you doing in 1986, Jen? I think I was just going to high school. So it was terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Yeah, I think I was in. I want to say eighth or ninth grade, but it was. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, adolescence, yeah, pubescence. It's not fun for anybody. So. No, it's a tough <laughs> no. time. It's a tough. Time. But the music was good. I remember that. Now I know uh, Brad and I were, were the same age, and we would have. Um, so we would have both been in the spring. Uh, semester of our freshman years in college and then the f- fall of our sophomore years, right? Yeah, so that was kind of a, it was a tale of two years for me. My freshman year, I think I said this recently on a show, my freshman year I lived at home, I was working 40 hours a week and taking a full class load. So I think I met two people on campus my freshman year. Like school was just a job. Uh, my sophomore year I moved into the dorms and basically the friends I made that fall are my college friends. Those are the people I still talk to and spend time with so it was you know two completely different experiences see i was graduating in 1986 so right about this time 30 years ago i was having terrible senioritis um peak slack oh yeah and uh i was also i mean i remember like i actually had a great time in high school i was um well i was having a lot of fun and I, i didn't have a ton of responsibilities and I was in the student body. I was in ASB, so I was able to like use that as an excuse to get out of some of my classes. And then I just go wander and meet some of my friends in their in their classes, and we'd hang out. And um, so I got to do that. And then this year, or in 1986, I also um, that was the first year I went to Cal State Northridge, and I was playing basketball there. So I immediately went into this. We're practicing four hours a day on top of school. Yeah, uh, I immediately had you know, basically a, a team of brothers. We all of a sudden, I, I was accepted into this group because we were all basketball players and we were running around and having a good time. And, and so this was really a great time for me 30 years ago. A single successful guy. How are your, how, how was everybody's grades their freshman year in college? Mine were, I think it was like straight C's. Um, first year in college, like freshman year in college, I think it was A's and B's. Because like oh, I said, I wasn't doing anything other than working. And at work, I was... I was working in a movie theater, and so after the last show closed, I would stand there and do my homework all night long. I, I know you didn't go to to college in '86, Jen, but but your first year in college, what? I actually, I yeah, I was I went to college, I think, because I was also working full time and supporting myself and paying for college, and it was I think seven years it took me. Um, but my grades were great throughout the whole seven years because I sort of had that idea that I'm paying for this. Yeah. You have skin in the Kinda. game. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Yeah, my kids listen to this, so I'm going to say I got all A's and B's. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a I had a fraternity brother who calculated how much money you were wasting if you skipped a class. And anytime he found out I would skip a class, he would just whip out that number. But uh, but he would just basically just say, well, you know, X amount of money down the drains. I, yeah. After a while, that kind of – after a while. Thank God my mom doesn't listen to this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, I kind of forty third time he said it. <laughs> I finally realized maybe I should go to class. I mean, my my grades are okay, but they they got better as time went on. But Mr. Han, will I pass this class? Gee, Mr. Spicoli, I don't know. So anyway, let's get to the meat of the program. Uh, let's start it off. I'm going to start it off myself actually for a change. Um, Nineteen eighty six was an important year to me for music, uh, mainly because of this album. Uh, I'm here to honor R.E.M.'s Life's Rich Pageant. So this is the fourth studio album by R.E.M. I think it was the first one I actually bought, though. And uh, the band I was in that year, Epic Trash, as we've chronicled from time to time on the show, we covered at least half this album. Wait, Epic Trash was a college-era band? Why did I think that was a high school band? Um, it was dreamt up in high school, but does, was not properly executed until college. Ah, yeah, I thought Epic Trash was part of the lip sync group that you had. That's not no. no I think Epic uh, Trash actually did sing and play. It was no. We actually played our own instruments, Broomsticks um, and Jonas Brothers. We, we did our senior year. We would sit there in uh, civics class and we would draw cartoons about the adventures of Epic Trash. And what our stage would look like. And there was like a, a sacrifice altar and stuff like that. And, <laughs> oh, my God. But but two of the songs that we covered for sure that we played regularly in almost every show we ever did was um, Superman and uh, Just a Touch. So Cool. The uh, album title isn't what you think it is. It is actually a movie line. From a 1964 Inspector Clouseau film called A Shot in the Dark. Funny. <clears throat> Pink Panther. Yeah. Right? The yeah. Sec- second one. <clears throat> the second Pink Panther movie. Um, if you spell Life's Rich Pageant with an apostrophe, you have misspelled the title of this album. Um, That's most, my kind of pedantic right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For whatever reason, there's a reason, but it's not a good one. R.E.M. does not like to use apostrophes, not in song titles, not in album titles. Uh, Peter Buck once famously said that he and Michael Stipe agreed that, quote, no good rock album has an apostrophe in the title. Satisfaction? Oh, I guess that doesn't, can't get no satisfaction. I would have to look back and see Sgt. Pepper's. But um, anyway, that's their theory and they're sticking to it. Um, That reminds me, sorry for interrupting, that reminds me of the time when my husband said that Jesse's Girl could never be a good rock song because the word moot was in it. <laughs> but you know what? I, I'm going to back That's the up exception that, that proves the rule. Uh, <laughs> I like that. That's, that's really smart thinking. <laughs> that, so, that's, that word stands out in that song more than anything else. Don't yeah, be churlish. Okay. <laughs> so um, 
you guys have this album? Did anyone else besides me like worship it? Uh, I didn't encounter REM until my um well, no, that's not true. I didn't really start to love REM until college. And then I, I went back and, and got all their back catalog stuff because I hadn't bought anything until uh, I think maybe Green came out and I was just graduating high school and I got that or I don't remember the chronology. But yeah, there was a period of time for about two years where I just got a bunch of REM and this was definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, I think I came in on Green and then work my way back through the catalog. But I didn't. when this came out, it wasn't on my radar. True. Huh. I definitely remember them. I, uh, I can't remember when Eponymous came out, if that was earlier or later, but uh, I always liked them. And then eventually I saw them sometime. I was trying to remember ex- exactly when I saw them in concert. I want to say it was at the Forum. But yeah, they, they were did. great in concert. I just remember yeah. Michael Stipe jumping around on stage and being like, that dude's a freak. He's got <laughs> weird stage presence. Well, you nailed that. <laughs> I never saw them in concert. Um, that's one of my big misses. Um, if they ever reunite, and I, I gotta believe that they'll reunite. I, really? I know they say they, mm-hmm. I know they say they won't. I know they swear up and down that they won't. But something just tells me that they'll do something, and I'll get one more shot. Um. Anyway, only two singles were released from this album: "Fall on Me," which a lot of people know, sure. and Sup- "Superman." Uh, which is one of the songs we played in Epic Trash. Um, it's actually a cover song. I didn't know this till today. Uh, Superman is actually a cover song of a 1969 tune by a Texas band called The Click. kind of amazing that that those lyrics i thought were kind of deep for when this came out and you know for a song to be that kind of deep in 1969 the the other song on this album that i really like i this is one of the few albums i have that i can i can listen start to finish and and i think that's what makes you know i think that's a lot a lot of us today will talk about why we love our particular albums and i and to me it's that ability to listen from track one to track 14 um there's a song in there called koyahuga which is really, it's my when I listen to this album, that's the song I I, I, I most look forward to hearing. Uh, it's a, it's a metaphor about America and its lost promises, which seems to ring true as well as much today as it did thirty years ago. This is Um, that's the song that I have no idea what he's saying. I love the way the music sounds, but I, except for the word Cuyahoga, I have no idea what he's saying. <laughs> it's it. You know what I kind of like about REM? They got better over the years about this, but if you go back and you listen to like the first, you, li- you listen to their demos, you honest God can't believe they're speaking English. Um, it's only <laughs> about their second or third album that you start to make out words here or there. I, I have to imagine that listening to REM is like what it's like for people in... Uh, brazil to listen to american rock you know mm-hmm. it teaches them our language one word at a time phonetically 
Yeah. But that's strange um, because the lyrics are always so, it seemed like they're so important to Michael Stipe. Like, yeah. So why would he mumble them? I don't know. I never understood that. He's a complex dude. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> one, of the great, one of the great mysteries of the 80s is that, you know, if lyrics are so important, why do you mumble them? Why are you so <laughs> complex, dude? <laughs> I would never want to interview him. I think I just, he would be really tough. Yeah. I just think he would be really tough. The other, the other Michael Stipe thing that comes to mind as we talk about him is, do you remember, um, I think it was the year that, um, oh, they were up for like a thousand MTV Music Awards for... Um, Losing my religion. Yeah, and yeah. and he had like twenty seven t shirts on with different yeah. odds on, yeah. and he just kept taking off the t shirt. And my, I'm watching this, this is back when you used to watch the MTV Music Awards, and my, my friend <laughs> I was watching it with turns to me is like just so just so exasperated. It's like Michael Stipe is not my conscience, <laughs> <laughs> but he's trying very very he's, hard to he's be. He's really leaning in, but that yeah. doesn't make it true. <laughs> I love Michael Stipe. I, I always wanted to play. Um, I always wanted to play charades with Michael Stipe. I thought he would be so good at it. <laughs> Don't you think? <laughs> Shirts aside. Wow, that would be amazing. Would we Wouldn't get that, that pilot pitched? <laughs> That's an elevator pitch if I ever heard it. Oh, yeah. Michael Stipe, it's America's Night of Charades. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone has to earn a paycheck. Uh, speaking of earning a paycheck, it's Jen's turn. Uh, Jen, what album have you come here to honor? Oh, am I getting a paycheck? <laughs> it's very small. Damn it, she's better than me because I didn't get paid. I'm still not getting paid. All right. So, uh, at the risk of being pigeonholed as the Prince correspondent, because I really loved License to Ill too, but my pick is Parade, which I almost said came out in 1986, but I think that's obvious. Um, so, I just wanted to give kind of frame up where this album falls in the in the Prince Prince line. Um, so. Prince and the Revolution, right, came out with 1999 in 1982. In 1984, that was when Purple Rain just destroyed the world. Um, Around the World in a Day, that was their follow-up in 1985. And then Parade in 1986 was the last official album of Prince and the Revolution. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Yeah, yeah. So there's another album they, they had sort of been putting together called Dream Factory, which I just learned recently. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there are others that are in that vault um, yeah, but yeah, but this is the last official Prince and the Revolution album, and you know, obviously, I love Prince. I love all the stuff he did with MPG and and Third Eye Girl and, and so on. But Prince and the Revolution <laughs> was just so it for me because I loved, I just loved the sound. I loved the harmonies of Lisa and Wendy. I thought they were so gorgeous. And um, anyway, so just to explain a little bit more about the album, it was a soundtrack album for the movie Under the Cherry Moon. And as we've discussed before, it's not a good film, but it looked, <laughs> but it looks really good. It looks so like luscious and black and white, and it's sort of got this um, French Riviera kind of vibe. But um, but yeah, so so when you look at stills from the movie and you've seen you know the Kiss video, that black and white look is just so cool and just kind of crisp. Um, but yeah, it's a really different sounding album. You know, everyone knows Purple Rain is super rock and roll, tons of guitar. Uh, the next album, Around the World in a Day, was kind of like psychedelic Beatles sounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but sure. Parade is like really refined and like kind of jazzy. Um, and, and when I looked it up on, on Wikipedia, just curious what it would, would, how it would describe it. It described it as Baroque pop. <laughs> yeah, um, I can see that. And I'm totally. not a musician. Right, right. And I'm not a musician, so I have no idea what the hell that means. <laughs> but, but it kind of sounds cool. And it's, it's sort of, well, I don't Baroque know. Well, Baroque music is super metered and super structured. 
Okay. It's like, you know, you can, you know, you could do a repetitive task to it. You could build watches to it because it just kind of, it goes, it's got a rhythm that kind of drives it typically classic Baroque music. Brad, okay. when I think Baroque, I also think harpsichord. Is that wrong? Sure. No, that would hear oh, okay. a lot of harpsichord in like a, um, oh, why are we talking about this? Like the yeah. Brandenburg concertos are a great sure. example of, of Baroque go. music. Yeah. And Prince was known for his harpsichord work. So. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I love this album and the songs are like super atmospheric and there's, you know, the, so the movie, um, I mean, th- this is how bad it was. It, it won a Razzie that year for Worst Picture, but it tied with Howard the Duck. So <laughs> Wow. We have <laughs> two winners this year. Yeah. That is so, some company. Yep. Yeah. They couldn't decide which one sucked more, so they had to <laughs> award them both. But yeah, there, so there's lots of French language in, in the movie, but also in the songs, which I love. Um Yeah. And then, and then of course, and I, I don't know if I, I know everyone knows this song. I know... Not everyone knows the album Parade, but Kiss is the big hit that comes off of this album. And I just learned this past week that it's my six-year-old's favorite Prince song, which she's got great taste, I have to say, because it's such a funky song and like kind of weird and very spare. I mean, listen to Kiss sometime and pretend you've never heard it. It's a bizarre sounding song. Um, So that's on Parade. Um, Sometimes it snows in April. If you've heard the Prince tribute, that's the one that it gets played at the end. Beautiful, beautiful song. Quite heartbreaking, actually, especially. Quite heartbreaking. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so a couple of the songs on the album were written by Prince's dad, or co-written, at least, by Prince's dad. Huh. Um, which, when I read that in the um, in the notes about the album, I can just picture Clarence Williams III from Purple Rain. Like, that's how I picture <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you know, Prince's dad. He's got a, oh, you know. White button-down white shirt, and he's in the basement yeah. with the piano. Um, so he, well, yeah, there's that. But uh, so he wrote, co-wrote two of the songs, Christopher Trace's Parade and Under the Cherry Moon, and they do sound very like sort of old-school jazz and really, really pretty. Huh. Yeah, but the song I wanted to sort of mention was uh, a song that actually plays over the credits of the movie. Uh, the whole movie is in black and white, but the video for this song is pure color. And when Prince died, and I went back and listened to all the albums, um, this was the one I was like, oh yeah, this song, I love this song, and it's called Mountains. Oh, yeah, that song. Remember Mountains, that song? Yeah, absolutely. Steve, you were saying earlier about listening to an album from beginning to end. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about how you used to listen to two sides of an album. Sure. Because, yeah, because I had the cassette of Parade. So the last song on side one is this beautiful, very quiet instrumental called Venus de Milo. Lots of piano, very pretty. And then you flip it over to side two, and then Mountains plays. And it's this great, like... You, the drums are like really quiet and then the piano kicks in and then the Wendy and Lisa harmonies, you know, that revolution sound I was talking about. Yeah. And it's like the best sec- second side starting song, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's a really good morning song, too. I love to uh, 
listen to it in the morning just makes you feel like revved up and happy and ready to go. I don't know what that feels like anymore. <laughs> I, was say, <laughs> I figured I'd say that before Steve did. Spirit, the spirit's <laughs> disease is spreading. The only you, sound in the morning. The only sound not in the morning. a phase, Mom. It's who I am. <laughs> the, 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 the only sound in the morning here at the lair is the sound of a, a dying man and his dry heaves. <laughs> Trying to get out of bed. I do the same. It's like get out of bed and you're like, oh, God, what the hell was that? Why did I make that noise? Make that noise? <laughs> Well, play mountains and see how you feel. <laughs> all right, we'll do that. You never know. Report back if if it works at all, or if you like. Was it? I don't remember the movie where you take the baseball and throw it against the thing. Great what Escape. I yeah, I was going to say Great Escape, or was it Cool Hand Luke? I, I want to say Ferris Bueller. Oh, oh, he's laying in bed. He at throws the, the at baseball the end. The at the very end. He throws the baseball. Yeah, you don't into bust the your super expensive electronics. Yes, that's it. Because his parents okay. are coming home. Yeah, well, you know that's the thing too is I don't have a stereo at the lair. Um, if I want to listen to music, I have to like fire up my computer or go sit in the car. Go sit in the car. <laughs> I, I don't have a stereo. I don't have a mommy. Why is that man sitting in his car again? <laughs> so many reasons, sweetie. Don't don't make eye contact. <laughs> He's crying again. <laughs> so can I say one more song that I like? Of course. Is that cool? Uh, so the other song is. Um, is lesser known, but it's, it's I realized, in my top three favorite Prince songs. And it's called Girls and Boys. He only knew her for a little while But he had grown accustomed to her style She had the cutest ass he ever seen He did too, they were meant to be And then you'll hear the Wendy and Lisa harmonies, but really what I love about the song is sort of how flirty it is and how fun. Because, you know, you may have heard some Prince songs that are a little on the raunchy side. This is, this is I know. The hell you say. It's true. Is, but You take yeah. that back. You mean <laughs> I a little. I know, right? This is one of them. I love this song. So Girls and Boys is awesome. And it's got a lot of French in it. And I'll sing along and have no idea what I'm saying. And I was thinking the That's other day. That's a danger. You I know, know. Especially with a Prince song. You don't know what you're saying in French. Right. I was thinking when I was playing in my car and my kid was in the back seat, like, oh, this is nice. This is one of the few Safe for Kids records that Prince had. And then I realized I'm like singing French words. I don't know what they mean. I just remember them from the song. Yeah. I wonder what I'm singing right now. It's like Does the anyone... first time you realize what voulez-vous coucher avec moi meant. What does that mean? Uh, no, <laughs> you through I will not. Stop asking. <laughs> what do I, I, don't, I really don't know what it means. Uh, so will you go to bed with me? That's it? I thought it was yeah. gonna something more raunchy. Well, that was 1970s. Yeah. Well, you're the guy who taught me what Jawbreaker meant. So, <laughs> well, Are we whoa. going back there again? No, no. no. I'm sorry. Never I'm sorry. Down. This <laughs> is turning into another podcast. I actually, I actually don't. I actually. I, <laughs> good luck with anyone finding the episode where Drew t- explains what a Jawbreaker is. But I honestly don't remember anymore what it is. I just remember it's dirty and you're embarrassed by it. Yeah. Not so. going back there. Flummoxed. Okay. That's the word we're looking for right now. Everyone is flummoxed. Yes. Well, perhaps we could unflummox things by uh, letting 
Drew talk about his album. Drew, what do you got it for us? All right. Well, it's funny. This was not my first choice. I had another choice. But then um, kind of by circumstances, I decided to choose uh, Paul Simon's Graceland. And I'm really glad I did because going back and looking at this, I was astounded by how much this album kind of uh, oddly enough. I mean, you don't want, like I said, it was 1986. I was a senior. You don't admit that a song based on African rhythms and songs is kicking your ass <laughs> rather than something else that has just come out. And so you kind of have to play this one secretly because, you know, it's Paul Simon. It's like your keep parents. The, keep the tape in a different rapper. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So uh, there's a little bit of a backstory on this. The album took two years to make, and I'll try not to spend two years explaining what happened. So in 83, Paul Simon released Hearts and Bones, and it was a kind of a big flop. And he kind of felt like, all right, this is it. I'm done. Uh, I've lost uh, my inspiration. I've kind of been passed by. And he got handed a cassette tape with South African artists on it. And he started listening to it like nonstop. And he decided to go down and play with some of the artists there. Just kind of see what happens. He, like yeah. he said, you know, it was, he, he didn't have any inspiration, so let's see what happens. And um, problem was, of course, it was the height of the UN sanctions against South Africa because of apartheid. So he wasn't oh, yeah. sure what he was going to do. But he went and he talked to his friend, Harry Belafonte, who's a noted human rights activist as well as actor and singer, and said, uh, you know, what should I do? And, and Belafonte said, you should go down and speak to the ANC, which is the African National Congress. And they were the ones that were leading the charge against the South African government and apartheid. But Simon didn't do it because he felt, why should he as an artist be wrapped up in the political crap? Art transcends boundaries. I'm not going to do that. And that would later come back to bite him in the ass. So he went down there. He worked with a lot of musicians, including the Boyoyo Boys and the Gaza Singers, but particularly a group called Ladysmith Black Mombazo. And what he did when he went down there, he was down there for about two weeks, and they just jammed. They would He had songs that they had, uh, and he would say, hey, that song that you did that sounded like this, and they would play to go, yeah, just let's just kind of riff on that. And so they had songs that they had already performed that, that Paul just kind of wanted to play with. Mm-hmm. And um, they recorded a ton of stuff, brought it all back to New York, where his engineer and editor, a guy named Roy Halley, he did an amazing job of collecting all this stuff and, and started to make songs out of them. And then Paul started writing these lyrics. And the lyrics, I don't know if you guys remember the, the lyrics to this album, but they're very descriptive. They... They really, I mean, they're some of his best lyrics. He, he says, one of them starts off and he says, Fat Tony the Archangel walked into the room, slouched into the room. And that's so descriptive. And it's such a wonderful, like, setup of a song. And the funny thing was, with all of these African rhythms and African songs and sounds, none of the songs were political. And he said he did that for a couple of reasons. One, um, he's not a very political guy. He says he's never been able to write political songs. Two, he said, you know, Stephen Biko, the song that, or Biko, the one that Peter Gabriel did, he said he loves it, but he can never match something like that. So why even try? So he, uh, he really just stayed with more kind of conversational stuff. And they brought all this stuff you know, together in New York. And then he brought some of the artists to New York to work with him there. And it freaked them out because they landed in New York and they got a uh, limo with a white driver and they were freaked out. They were like, are we going to get arrested because we have a white driver? Oh, wow. Are we going to arrest wow. it here? And then they thought, are we going to get arrested when we go back? Um, during the recordings at one point, they said, Hey, we want to go to central park and see central park. Where do we get a permit? 
And wow. Paul's like, you don't need a permit. Just, just go. Go. Yeah. So for him, that was a real eye opener. Different just, worlds. Yeah. You know, a real different world. I mean, he said he, he felt it when he went down there, but when they came to America and he, he thought, wow, these guys are really tasting freedom for the first time. And they got the album all done, and they were all prepared to go on Saturday Night Live to promote the album, and then Warner Brothers pushed the album back. So Paul said, well, we got all the guys here from Ladysmith, Black Mombazo. We might as well just do – we're already booked. We might as well do the show. And I remember this because Robin Williams was the host that night of Saturday Night Live. And so he introduced them, and they went out, and they did the performance – and they did Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes. People say I'm crazy, I got diamonds on the soles of my shoes, yeah. Well, that's one way to lose these walking blues. Diamonds on the soles of my shoes. So it was really jaw-dropping for me and because it sounded like nothing else at the time. And the artist said I, – I, I have all this backstory because I ended up watching the documentary about it. There's a documentary called Under African Skies about the making of this album and then everything that happened afterwards. So it was really interesting, and, and uh, I, I watched it for this podcast, and I'm really glad I did because it, it is really good. But um, the artists were nervous too because they thought, well, you know, if nobody likes this, we're done. We're heading back. Yeah. You know, and instead the audience in uh, the Saturday Night Live audience went nuts. Uh, they were standing on their feet. They were they were just going crazy for it. And so Warner Brothers thought, oh, maybe we should release this. So they released it in August of 1986. The uh, album was a massive success critically. Oh yeah. Um, but the problem was, like I said, you know, Paul didn't get permission to go down there, and the ANC started protesting all the tour dates, and. Paul had to defend himself a lot to the ANC and to other artists about the fact that, you know, he went down there and he did this, even though he felt, hey, I paid these guys triple union rates when I worked with them. I brought them to America to continue the album, and I gave them writing credits on all the songs that they were on so they get royalties off of this stuff. I was yeah. more than fair. So it wasn't totally – it wasn't appropriation. There was no like – No, but he did there. get a lot of that heat. People were saying, you know, hey, uh, you went down there and you're just a white guy stealing these guys' music. And, um, you know, and he really had to defend himself on that. Has anyone seen Paul Simon in concert? I have not. And I no, really I haven't ever had. seen him. I have never either. I, I have. I have. Oh, really? Um, I saw him maybe four years ago. Oh, so relatively recently. Yeah. Um, he played Ruth Eckerd Hall in Clearwater, um, which everyone's heard me talk about a lot. It was a – Ruth Eckerd Hall is a 2,000-seat arena uh, Yeah, that would theater. be a great oh, place to see him. Great. The concert sold out in, I think, six minutes. Wow. Like the, wow. the t- tickets never even went on sale to the public. Basically, everybody who was already a member of the, of the hall, you know, like a patron. Right, the pre-sale, yeah. Boom, gone. Six minutes. And um, I remember at the time I bought the, I bought tickets as soon as I could, and I was in I think the second to the last row, <laughs> and I besieged upon my um, the PR uh, friend I have there to see if she could do anything to to help me out, give me slightly better seats. She got me 
two rows in front of that. Oh, <laughs> that <was> the, <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody. I mean, There's and nothing so there. Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't remember if he had an opening act or not. I don't think he did. But so we all file in for this show. It's one of those shows where nobody said a word during a song. Everyone was at the edge of their seats like they were watching uh, Bill Gates give a lecture on the future of computing or something like that. Yeah. And he played Diamonds on... I mean, he played... It was basically... It was a lot of Graceland, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think if it, I think he might have opened up with Graceland. Um, but it was one of those just amazing shows and um, that you just kind of like... You know, you can you can sort of you could die tomorrow. You can say, well, you know, I didn't get like those other ninety nine bands on my bucket list crossed off, but I did see Paul Simon in a theater the size of a movie theater. Yeah, know? one of those so, memories you file away. Yeah. So just you know, if you ever get a chance, I know he was going to tour, do another tour, like you know, to honor Graceland. I don't know that he ever did. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see him again. Just just if yeah. you ever get a chance, it's one of those ones where it's like it's worth a plane ticket. You know, it's worth going on StubHub and paying a premium. I think the tickets, I think the tickets were like two hundred dollars each, Ooh. even where I was. Yeah. But now, was, in a small hall like that, a guy like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he was <sighs> touring at the time, and he had these massive crowds. Oh, my dog just pushed open the door and came in to visit me. Sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> Hi, Dustin. <laughs> but um, so they were they were picketing, and so one of the things that Paul did was he brought in this woman who. Um, was known as the queen of African music. Her name is uh, Miriam Makiba. And she, because she went on the tour with him, um, it helped blunt some of the the arguments that he had just come along and, and stolen all this stuff because he was he was trying to say, no, I'm highlighting these artists. And so that's what really kind of saved him and saved the tour. But the album itself is really a triumph. I mean, if you go back and, and you think about what was going on, um, to make a non-political album, but it's still political because it, it introduced these artists to the world in a way that I don't think that would have happened, especially because of the, the ban, uh, the, the artists against apartheid and all that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it made people a lot more aware of what was going on in South Africa. It was another, and, yeah, it was another path for that conversation to be started through. Exactly. You know, and another, in another the... Path. In the documentary, they actually he meets with one of the leaders of the ANC, and they kind of talk it out, and they end up hugging it out and, and say, you know, in the end, it was it was a good thing. So, yeah. But the other big hit from this album was uh, one called "You Can Call Me Al." If you This was a huge hit on MTV. Do you guys remember? Uh, oh, sure, yeah. yeah. Chevy Chase. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, this was really just, uh, it, was, it was number 23 on the charts. It reached number 23 on the charts. It was, th- that's the last top 40 hit for Paul Simon. Only 23? Really? Yep. Yeah. But the, uh, the album itself did go on to win uh, a Grammy for Album of the Year and everything like that. But, you know, again, Steve, you talked about listening to it from front to back which I actually did today. And it's weird because right at the end, he starts off with Graceland. And then at the end, he goes to this Zydeco song. And then he goes to a song that he actually did with Los Lobos. But yeah. what was so great about it was that it all blends together. And it really does highlight his, I feel, 
it highlights his his belief that music is universal and and it it just kind of all works together despite the fact it's very right. different sounding music yeah i i was a huge fan of his for the same reason that a lot of us were probably because our parents were my oh yeah my dad introduced me to them and i remember when uh simon and garfunkel did their big central park oh yeah concert i watched it on hbo and i had the the, the disc and I, I listened to it for years um graceland obviously was a was a huge like resurgence form so much so that when 1990 came and he released uh rhythm of the saints mm-hmm. which is his version it's graceland but now it's based in brazil yeah and he goes down and he borrows the beats of brazil and and I've been a fan ever since. It's it's a it's a great album. It's it's so unlike any album we would normally honor on Stuck in the Eighties because it it's so out of as an artist he's so not stuck in any decade. And if there, if he was one, it wouldn't have been the eighties. But no, absolutely. Yeah. But yet this is seriously probably like in when when the music of the twentieth century is you know looked at you know fifty years from now, Graceland is probably. It'll be in the conversation. It's it's in the top ten or twenty. Yeah, yeah it'll be in it the conversation. It just is. It's just it's that important. Yeah, yeah I, I am actually. actually oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you. <laughs> no, I'll Damn go it. ahead. You go. No, I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> um, no, I'm really glad Drew that you chose this because Graceland is my favorite album of all time. Um, oh, wow. Purple Rain, close second. I was going to say uh, yeah. you're just trying to get out yeah. of that Prince yeah. box, aren't you? <laughs> no, I swear. It, I I love. <laughs> Graceland, this album, I, I really actually want it to be played at my funeral from beginning to end and make everyone sit and listen to the entire album from beginning to end. It is such a good, good album. And I would have picked it, but I had nothing to say about it except for I love <laughs> this album. <laughs> so I was really glad to hear all that um, stuff about it. I can't wait to see that documentary. I didn't, I've, I've never seen Under African Skies, so that'll be cool. It's really interesting. It has a lot of archival footage. And then, like I said, it, it's him going back there because they were celebrating the 25th anniversary of its release. Right, and you so talked a lot back. about. No, I'll yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is this is two guest hosts trying to sort it all out, but we'll get it figured you out. Guys are doing great. Are you kidding? We'll have me? our yeah. rhythm. We'll find our rhythm. No, I was going to say that I um that you talked through a lot about the music of it, but the lyrics in this album are like, I mean, I, I thought if I could write one song, the lyrics of one song from Graceland, I would just die. I would just like, okay, I'm fine. I, see see ya, world. Because yeah. the, the lyrics of this album are amazing. And, uh, you know, as opposed to, I, I love Michael Stipe, I love R.E.M., but you can hear every single word <laughs> on Graceland. And, uh-huh. and because it's so beautiful, you can sing along to it. You can sing along from the first song to the last song. Well, that's what surprised me. Is when I was listening to it today, I was actually driving home from a family trip. And I didn't realize it, but I knew every lyric still, and I can't remember the last time I actually listened to the entire album. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. it's in your head. Even the even some of the African, you know, tanana tanana. You're like, oh, I know that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> okay, now no pressure on Brad, but we've now. <laughs> oh man, I'm dead in the water. Can we just end it now? <laughs> Can we just go to the seggies? <laughs> <laughs> Brad, well, what's your well, album? Well, we've got thirty after, seconds to cover. Let it. me scrape myself up off the floor here. Ah, so my pick this year, my pick this year, <laughs> has it been that long of a show? My pick today <laughs> Hey, is... I went fast. I tried to go very fast in <laughs> all my stuff. I have another three pages I, I left out. I'm looking forward to hearing about those, too. You guys, it's called content. It's cool. Lots of good content here. Yeah. My pick today, back on track here, is the Talking Heads 1986 release, True Stories. Back to- 
Okay. Brad. I'm coming. I'm getting there. I'm going to clear my throat. Reposition the microphone. So, true stories. Not quite a soundtrack to the movie of the same name. Have any of you seen the movie True Stories? Yep. Nope. Um, I, I was making out in the background. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's a good, that's Let's a good hear choice. that story. That's a good choice. That's where the story begins and ends. Oh... Uh, well, no, that's I, okay. I did. It's a weird movie. But yeah, this one. is not quite a soundtrack to that movie. It's the members of the band Talking Heads singing songs that appear in the movie. If that makes any sense. Um, the movie itself is very strange. Uh, David Byrne got basically complete creative control over this movie after Stop Making Sense did so well. And uh, it shows. Uh, my, <laughs> my theory is that people who like this movie are people who grew up in small towns and kind of connect to it and see that the normal overlaid with the absurd is exactly how life is in a lot of small towns. Um, and people who don't live in small towns are like, this is just weird. I don't get it. It has every indication of a movie that, of, that Hollywood wishes they hadn't given complete control over. <laughs> yeah, to, to, you know. to a guy who did not quite make it through art school. It's a hard movie to make it through. You have to be in a certain state of inebriation. Really? So, I don't know. I can watch this any day. I love it. Really? I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> It's pointed right at me. It's got all those fourth wall breaks. It's a little <laughs> you do town love the in fourth the wall breaks. Uh, Roger Ebert also loved the, the film. He called it a bold attempt to paint a bizarre American landscape. Emphasis <laughs> on attempt. Yeah. No, no. It's bold. Emphasis on bold. There's hardly, he continues, there's hardly a moment in true stories that doesn't seem every day to anyone who's grown up in middle America, and not a moment that doesn't seem haunted with secrets, evasions, loneliness, depravity, or hidden joy, sometimes all at once. I could not have said it better, Mr. Ebert. God, he was so good. He really was. Um, so, true stories, um, the album, kind of the last Talking Heads album. I mean, there was one more in 88, um, Naked, but this is the last one where we didn't know that they were kind of fighting. You know, mom and dad aren't getting along. Dan's not going to stay together too much longer. It's, uh, it's not your fault. Yeah, it's not your fault. It's nothing you did. We still love you. Very angry with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Wild Wildlife, uh, I don't know if that's their biggest hit, uh, but it's definitely the biggest hit off of this record. Um, Ooh, that's a good question. What what do you what to you is the Talking Heads' biggest hit? Burning down the house. Yeah, yeah mine too. Probably on the charts. Yeah, burning down the house. Um, this is and and also I I would say this isn't a I I like this album. I think it's a good album. I don't think it's a great Talking Heads album. It's yeah. no stop making sense. It's no it's no little creatures. Fear of music. Yeah, but I think it's I think it has some really good material on it. Um, Wild Wildlife uh, charted all the way up to twenty. Fifth on the singles chart um, was much bigger on MTV. Yeah. Um, do you guys remember the video for this? Yeah, everybody jumps oh, yeah. in front of the camera. It was like a karaoke kind of. Yeah, thing. it's basically yeah. lifted right out of the. That sequence is right out of the movie. Right, um, but it John won, Goodman's in it, right? Yeah, jo- yeah it's John yeah. Goodman's first leading role. <laughs> He's great. Really? In it. Yeah, he actually is. He, I mean, if there is a story to that movie, it's about it's, him. It, it's about him. Yeah, yeah trying mm-hmm. to find love, looking for love in so badly. It really does. Um, but that video for Wild Wildlife won the best group video and best video from a film uh, at the 87 MTV Music Video Awards. When was the last time any of us actually watched the MTV Video Music Awards? It would have been in the early 90s, probably 91, 92. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think when when 
I'm trying to remember if when Prince performed Get Off, if that was on the MTV Music Awards, and I kind of think it was like early 90s. Yeah, that seems about... I had had to do it a couple times for my job uh, when I was the entertainment editor, and it was horrible. Yeah. It was was one of my least favorite nights of the year. I just... when, When... Britney kiss Madonna. I'd stopped watching years before that. And that would have been late nineties, oh. right? Early yeah, 2000s. yeah. So way, way, way before that. Because I remember when they had the big moment, and everybody's like, "Oh, did you see it?" I'm like, "No." Oh. And they're like, "Well, go watch it on YouTube." Yeah. Oh, wait, wait ten years <laughs> and then go watch it on YouTube. <laughs> True. So the other track I want to talk about on this on this album is uh, just I listened to the album. When I pulled, you know, I pulled up my choice of the week. I will listen to it straight through, and then I was just humming this song all week long. Uh, and I give you "Love for Sale." So this song, it's funny because every time I see the title, I think of the um, the Cole Porter love for sale. And this is not that song, um, but I think it's catchy as hell. But it's also one of the weirdest videos you'll ever see if you ever get a chance to see it. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, Google it on, or you know, go to YouTube and enter it in. And you'll just be like, "What? What am I watching? Wait, when do I'm supposed to skip commercials? Skip ad? Skip ad? Wait a minute. Yeah, the commercial is an ad. I don't get it. Again, they they pulled it straight out of the movie, which is how it's. Presented yeah, movie. yeah, which is exactly how it's presented. It's a great. It's still it's, it's a worthy pick of '86. That's for sure. You know, you know what else would be a worthy pick right now? Those eggies. Ah, the mystical refrain that is reader mailbag. We have three emails this week. Um, a couple short ones. So, uh, Brad, get started. Oh, why don't you? I'm going to jump right in here to this first one from Joe in Michigan, who writes, Hey guys, during your April Fool's Day podcast, you mentioned staying in a relationship because of all the time invested. This is a very real concept in business called a sunk cost. Basically, it means you have to view the money and time invested as sunk, meaning you can't get it back. Any choice you make going forward should be in the best interest of future success. It doesn't mean it's an easy choice. Enjoy that little fun fact. Thanks for another great podcast. Still stuck in the 80s, Joe in Michigan. Wow. I, I did not know that was actually a basis in economics. It knew. also applies in poker. Like If you put money in the pot, it's not your money anymore. Don't, don't think about, oh, I have to get my money in here because all the rest of my money is in there and it's getting lonely. Like, once it's in the pot, it's not yours anymore. You guys have all done the sunk cost with a relationship, right? I mean, we're all God. guilty of that, right? Time and time again. Well, there's rational thinking and there's emotional thinking. And I'll just leave it there. <laughs> I've had I've had a conversation with my oldest um, when she got out of a relationship, and I was like, "Look, the important thing is it, it's it's what you it's what you learned about yourself and what you like and don't like that you take into your next relationship. That's what every relationship should bring you. Don't like, and I was I guess if I had known the term some sunk cost, I would have used it, but that was how I kind of explained it. You are most wise, Drew. I don't know about wise. I just I'm trying to narr- you know navigate my way like everyone else. 
Jen, you've spent a lot of time making out with people in movie theaters. What do you, what do you think about the idea of uh, time invested? I'd say my reputation precedes me, but unfortunately, I just like told everyone what my reputation was. Um, no, I was just thinking about how, yeah, yes, sunk costs, but you always get something out of a relationship. Like I was once um, in in my college years in a relationship that was terrible with a person who was terrible for me, but I learned how to play air hockey. So I thought that was a really positive thing to come out of that relationship. I, I became very good at it. So, I mean, sunk cost, yes, but I did get something for my investment. So I like to keep it positive. You got, some, you got that going for you. Sometimes yeah, okay. those things you get out of a relationship aren't positives, and you have to go see a doctor to get it cleared up. Just, Just be aware of that. Oh, my God. You even started on that. The, uh... <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> okay, uh, Brad. Uh, second letter is from Moving Steve on. Sturgeon. Yeah, no more sunk costs. We've, we've sunk our costs on that one. Steve Surgeon writes, Hi guys, just a quick note about the latest podcast as it hit home with me. I agree that Top Gun is pretty cheesy by today's standards, but I joined the Navy in 1985, and when Top Gun came out, we were all crazy about it. I spent the first two years of my enlistment in nuclear power school. Okay, what that means is that Steve is a really smart guy, because they don't let the dummies around the reactors. Thank God. <laughs> Steve continues, I hadn't been on a ship yet when the movie came out, but when I finally graduated and received my orders, I was ecstatic to learn I would be deployed on the USS Enterprise. Insert That's cheering. pretty badass. I yeah, like that. seriously. <laughs> what do you got? Yeah. I did a few tours in the Persian Gulf, sailed around the world, and was lucky to visit many great places. But one of the best memories was going to sea for a few days to film scenes for The Hunt for Red October. Oh, man. The, is Another aside, is that the last great Cold War movie? Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I still think another great one could be made, but that is an amazing movie. Uh, I would I like to have seen of Montana. Re- I think the remake of Red Dawn was pretty solid. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been nice talking to you, Drew. <laughs> I don't know how he got disconnected, folks, but we'll try and get him back for next week. Okay, we'll get back to the letter here. Steve continues, I never saw Sean Connery, but Alec Baldwin would eat dinner with the rest of us lowly squibs in the mess hall. He was a really cool guy. Anyway, thanks for all the funny. I've never missed a show. Still stuck in the 80s and still not wanting the Dutch oven, but thanks so much for the bottle opener, Steve Sturgeon. Can I cool. jump in here real quick? Uh, just as a, an aside, because I have lots of asides. You know, the the anniversary of Top Gun, as you guys know, is just just happened uh, a buddy of mine actually uh went to london to interview tom cruise about top gun and they ended up he thought he'd get maybe 10 minutes they ended up talking like half an hour just about top gun nice. and uh wow yeah it, that's that never happens it just doesn't with a star wanting willing to talk about a movie that they did you know 30 years ago um and if you buy it on downloads it comes with this bonus feature and that's what it is so that's really you sweet want to, it's really kind of cool. So, yeah, I just wanted to kind of mention that. Can I just tell you a really quick story about Alec Baldwin? So when I was living in New York, my boyfriend at the time, Mike, came to visit me, and we were in Tower Video, so you know how long that was. But Alec they Baldwin's... were making out in the back row? No, video, <laughs> Tower Video. Oh, my bad. Can you guys put some seats in back here? So? <laughs> so Alec Baldwin was going up the escalator, and we were going down, and, and Mike goes, is that that guy? This is before 30 Rock. Is that that guy, Alec? Wait, what do you say? Alan Baldwin? <laughs> it's like yeah yep we have uh one last letter here um and speaking of time uh time machine. time machine podcast um this letter is a letter that was sent to us six years ago but i guess we didn't read it on the air anyway 
It feels like a fun letter to read today, and um, it's from Jen with one N. What? So, so it only seems fair that we let Jen read the, the email she sent six years ago. Hi, Sean and Spearsy slash Spearsy and Sean. This is kind of weird. About three weeks ago, I was six and a half months pregnant. Then my daughter decided she couldn't wait to see the world and was born 10 weeks early. For three days preceding her birth, I was at the hospital on bed rest, and on one of those days, I was listening to the Chicago show and had to stop listening in the middle of the discussion about Tor and his wife making an 80s mix for their baby's birth. When I finally got out of the hospital a week later, I hit play on my iPod, and you guys were still talking about Tor and babies. It was a very surreal moment for me. Then you did the Mother's Day show, and I was a weepy mess. By the way, you can add pumping breast milk to the list of um, compromising things 80s Nation does while listening to the podcast. (laughs) The baby is in NICU, neonatal intensive care, but is doing just fine and growing bigger every day. We should have her home in a few weeks. Anyway, I want to let you know that I'm actively inculcating my daughter into the breakfast club. When I rock her, sometimes like Amadeus, I sing 80s songs and TV theme songs. May I share a quick list? Maybe it would be useful for tour. If he had another baby, this is me editorializing in 2016. <laughs> number number one, Graceland by hey. Paul Simon, or pretty much anything off of that album. Number two, True Colors and Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. Three, Save a Prayer by Duran Duran. Four, King of Pain by The Police. Five, a variety of 80s TV theme songs, including Silver Spoons, Golden Girls, and Cheers. And the best song for 80s moms with babies in the NICU is... Number one. Things Can Only Get Better by Howard Jones. Thanks for making me smile and laugh out loud during some pretty long days. Stuck in the 80s and bringing her kid with her, Jen with one in. Oh, that's great. Nice. Uh, I was So I was cleaning out my email this week, and I came across this in my sent like folder from, obviously, six years ago. And I was like, what? It was really, it was kind of fun. So, so you sang King of Pain to your daughter? <laughs> I did. Again, great lyrics. Probably better than singing uh, Love for Sale. Yeah. Yeah. Although I have to, I, I, I've added that to since um, Eternal Flame by the Bangles is a really good one for bedtime. Okay. And also uh, Somebody by Depeche Mode, but I changed the word perverted to, I think I say subverted or something. Uh, You're not fooling yeah. anybody. Mm-hmm. No, I, I do. Standards caught up with you on that one, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I used to sing Rocket Man to my daughter, and then I would change the lyric instead of cold as hell, I'd say it's cold as well. <laughs> awesome. That's I don't know. You just don't want to cuss in front of your your you know three month old. Hey, as always, we love your letters, even if we don't read them for six years. Uh, remember, hang in there, them- folks. They'll get to them eventually. <laughs> you just have to be a guest host, and you can read your own letter. We're not doing this show for six more years. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I've been wrong before. Uh, as always, we love them. Send them to uh, Steve at sit80s.com or Brad at sit80s.com. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Excuse me, I ordered fish. That is fish. I think. Why order fish when it ends up looking like a burger? Hey, friends, is this fish? Introducing new seafood salad from Taco Bell. Fresh vegetables, tender bay shrimp, and a delicious blend of whitefish and snow crab. A refreshing change from anything on a bun. If it's square, it's fish. If it's round, it's a burger. 
New seafood salad from Taco Bell. A cure for the common meal. Hey, it's time to play uh, Let's Get Trivial. And today on the line, we have one of our favorite fans. It's Christine in Philly. Hello. Thanks for volunteering for this. Uh, how long, Christine, tell us more about you. Uh, so obviously you're in Philadelphia. Yeah, right outside, about 20 minutes outside. And what do you do? I do, I work for an insurance company. I'm an auditor, so I'm a nitpicker. Uh-oh, But um, trouble. Yeah, I've worked there almost 25 years. It'll be 25 years coming up. Wow. I'm married, and I have two kids, and that's about it. Oh, okay, and how long have you been listening to the show? I think I've been listening to it probably since about 2009. Wow. Wow. Yeah, cool. nine or ten. So were you there during the infamous VGF era? Yes. <laughs> yes, I was there for the breakup. So good. probably right around the breakup is when oh, I started good. listening. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's good that that era is done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carefully said, Christine. Carefully said. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you listen to things and you're like, what? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Did you... That that was the infamous episode that had uh, Deborah Former on. Did you listen to the episode where we had her back on again a few weeks ago? Yep, I just listened to that one. I love her. I love Valley Girl. It's one of my favorite movies, so I was excited to hear her. She Isn't... really curses a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should have had her on for the, the episode about the Navy because she swears like a sailor. Yeah, yeah, she did, but I really liked her. I I really like her. Yeah. It caught me off guard. I didn't. I didn't expect her to do that. She didn't do that the first time around. Um, no, mm-mm. I wouldn't have expected it either. Well, and, you know, <laughs> hanging out with all of us LA dudes has taught her some new words. Yeah, <laughs> Brad's still mad about that. <laughs> so, okay, so here's how let's get trivia works. Um, it's fairly new, so we always have to explain it. Uh, we'll give you three questions on a topic of your choice, and today you have chosen the topic. Uh, the movie Weird Science. Yes. How many times have you seen Weird Science? Um, I've probably seen it at least six or seven times over the years. Excellent. Okay. Maybe even more. Flipping through stations, come across it. Yeah, it's one of those. If you if you know you come across it in the middle of it, it's like yeah, okay, I I pick this up where it is, no problem. Yeah, for a where few would, minutes. <laughs> where would, where would you rank it among uh, John Hughes's movies? Um, I would probably rank it in the middle. It's not my favorite, but it's not the worst one. What's the worst one? Um, Drill Bit Taylor. John Hughes. Uh, didn't he do Curly Sue? Yeah. He's Curly yeah. Sue, right? Yeah, that's pretty low. <laughs> my favorite one is She's Having a Baby. That's my favorite. Wow, that's unusual. Huh, Most people yeah. wouldn't pick that. Yeah, no, I, that's my favorite one. And then, you know, Breakfast Club, 16 Candles Fall in right behind there. Sure. Excellent. Okay, so here we go. Three questions. Question okay. number one. Number one. In Weird Science, Gary's dad proclaims to be an independent businessman, but what does he actually do? Gary's dad. You know, I have I have no idea. <laughs> no idea on that one. Can I can I give her a hint, Steve? Give her a hint. It's a it's a, a popular trade. There's one in every town. There has to be at least one in every town. Oh, he's a plumber. <laughs> So what do you do for a living, Al? I'm an independent businessman. Al, Dad? My dad's a plumber. And he, and he, uh, he's into plumbing. And he, and, he, and he, well, I guess you plumb, right, Dad? Uh, okay, here we go. Better luck next okay. time. Number two. In the movie, when Chet catches Wyatt wearing women's underwear, 
What does he say that is? I think he says, like, that's just weird or something like that. Or it's, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was like an abomination type of thing. Like, why? Something like that. What do you think, Brad? Give it to her? I think that's close enough. Yeah, I think abomination, you know, catches the... (laughs) Catches the spirit of how uh, Chet feels about that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the exact words were a severe behavioral disorder. It's a joke, Chet. You know it's all. That's not a joke. That is a severe behavioral disorder. Those are women's underpants. I mean, the next thing you know, you'll be wearing a bra on your head. Question number three might be a little tough. Uh, uh, both Brad and I got it wrong. So we're going to give it to you in multiple choice format. Oh, good. Number three. Uh, the girls. The two girls who arrive at the big party at the end with Max and Ian, but end up with Gary and Wyatt. Are they Sarah and Lisa, Kylie and Chrissy, Debbie and Kate, or Deb and Hilly? Deb and Hilly. I do yep. know that. Yes. We have a winner. We have a winner. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. You got the one that we couldn't get. Yeah, that was, I'm like, yep. uh, Hill, I remember Hilly. Uh. Excellent. Well, that's close enough. You get two out of three, so you get some swag from Stuck in the 80s. Woo-hoo. Okay. So we will send you something fun. Um, do you already have a bottle opener from us? No. Nope, I don't have anything. Oh, um, You don't have anything? Okay. After nope. after seven years, you have nothing to show for it? I have nothing. Just, oh, my just, God. I feel so bad. <laughs> we'll send you, we'll send you something more than just a bottle opener then. Uh, yeah, two bottle like openers. This. Thanks for playing, Christine. Uh, Now it's back to the show. Hey, we're back, and we have just a couple seconds left. Um, I thought it might be fun to talk about some of the albums we didn't choose to honor this one. What were everybody's second picks to honor for this week's show? Uh, Jen? Um, I was going to say Control by Janet Jackson, which I still think, after all the great albums she's put out, is still my favorite. It's awesome. Well, you know, and if we do this again this year, we we can cover it. No problems. Uh, Brad, what were you going to do? I was toying around with, after I dismissed all the really obscure stuff, I was toying around with Invisible Touch by Genesis, which is the absolute opposite of obscure. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of why I didn't pick it, is because I don't think anybody needs me to tell them about the album Invisible Touch. It's kind of notable in that it was such a huge comeback for Genesis. It really, Would you say it's their biggest commercial success? Certainly well, it's it gotta was a huge, huge, huge Absolutely. album. Um, and I have a lot of great memories around it. Again, it was very popular in the dorms, and that was when I was, you know, kind of forming those foundational college friendships. Uh, um, I went. It was one quick story. I went to see the tour um, at the Forum. My older sister had an extra ticket, and so I went with her. And my neighbor in the dorms was going, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, maybe I'll see you there." Ha ha ha! Who's sitting right in front of me? <laughs> ah, that's funny. That I mean, we 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 infamously did a whole episode on Invisible Touch. Uh, Genesis, and I think that's the episode where I talk about the Nummy Nummy Girl. Oh, oh! I'll have to go back and um, check that one out. Not I forgot conf- about that. And and I saw them on that tour in Orlando, here, where I live now. And I remember driving through. It was the first time I ever drove through Orlando, and Orlando has infamously bad traffic. 
And it was so bad that I started biting my nails, which I'd never done before. It took me 10 years to break that habit. Oh, I thought wow. you were going to say 10 years to get through traffic. <laughs> Thanks, Genesis. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Genesis. Uh, I don't do it anymore, though. Um, Drew, what was your second pick? Oh, uh, Peter Gabriel's So. Apparently, I was really into world music that year. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you guys had already done a, a podcast on it, so I was I was happy to switch over to, to Graceland. Yeah, it just it just had its 30th anniversary, I think, um, mm-hmm. yeah, a few weeks a ago. Weeks. Yeah, yeah. I was going to pick, um, and I still might for a future show, uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Liverpool, <laughs> which which I know we all owned. I think three people bought that album. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think, and it's only because I bought it twice. The <laughs> um, It used to have – it's it's a real disappointment of an album, but it had a um, a 12-inch version of the song Rage Hard. That was kind of like my um, my go to uh, uh, pseudo porn music for seducing young ladies uh, back in 1986. This just I, got I, awkward. I, this I, just I got a little know awkward. What to do with that. I want to make a joke, and I can't even think of one that I, I want. Don't worry, I'm, I'm probably going to delete with. that. I'll probably delete that. It won't actually be. Even Jen's not talking about that one. <laughs> I'm like, no comment. <laughs> yeah, it's a great. It's a, I think Jen push. just dropped the mic. It's like yep. a 14 minute version of the song. It's great. So anyway, uh, you can go the, for fourteen what do you do minutes. For the second half, <laughs> six. <laughs> go four times. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we appreciate uh, uh, your feedback on this. If there are albums you want us to consider for the next installment of this for nineteen eighty six, email us. Uh, you have the email addresses by now. Um, and otherwise than that, we hope you enjoy. Hey, Jen, uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It was really fun. Andrew, as always. Lovely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Cue up any of these four albums on your uh, pseudo home stereo, and you'll have a great time. Especially, was it what's the song, Jen, that we're supposed to listen to at the very end? In the morning, you listen yeah. to mountains. Well, we'll listen to mountains right now, just for you, as we remain here, hopelessly stuck in the eighties. Stuck in the 80s is a class of 85 production. Please listen responsibly. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. ahead. No, go Go ahead, ahead, Jen.